Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you your adventures, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. As always, I'm your local librarian, Christopher. I'm Stacy, and with us as always is producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. Hey, guys. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Doug. Thank you. You guys too. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. We're really knee deep in the holiday season. We are. We are. Almost Christmas. Yay. Everybody's all excited. Are you putting stuff out for Santa? Oh, of course. Yes. (laughs) And the reindeer. You may not be able to say this on the podcast, but who gets the stuff for Santa? I I can't. Okay. I can't. That ruined the magic. (laughs) We have a special plate. Okay. There's a Santa plate. There is a Santa plate. Then the, the cookies and and the carrots for the reindeer go awesome. on the plate. We Sometimes it's artichoke dip <laughs> <laughs> that goes on the plate because that's what Santa wants. That's what Santa <laughs> wants. I hope he doesn't, you know, have problems, you know, 45 minutes later as he's I, flying over San Bernardino. Gosh, I hope kick, not. Dip kicks in. <laughs> we have a special bottle of scotch. Ah, uh, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're in the Eastern Sierra. It's adventure time. There's feet of snow on the ground. Lots and lots of snow. So what do we decide to do, Stace? We decided to go snowshoeing. Let's let's take a break and and break our snowshoes in for the season. That was was how it was purported to be. (laughs) Come on, Christopher, let's go. Let's take a break and let's go snowshoeing. And we did. And we did. However, for about 15 yards. Yeah. <laughs> in in chest high deep snow. That was not packed. Let's step back. I'm not like a veteran snowshoer. This is my second year learning how to snowshoe. <laughs> Last year it was shady rest. It was out near Crowley Lake. There were trails on the groomed, groomed snow. <laughs> staying off to the side so that the cross country skiers Could wouldn't have their by. trails ruined. Um, but, it, you know, last year it was really lovely. We got out there in the middle yeah. of the pinions mm-hmm. and and the tufa and everything was gorgeous. So Well, and this was gorgeous, too. It was. It was just a failure of to realize the type of snow we were diving into. So tell, tell the listeners where we went snowshoeing. So we went snowshoeing between the Saracosa Community College building and the dormitory that supports the college. And somewhere out there mm-hmm. in that area, there is a trail. There is. There is. We did not find it. Find it. <laughs> and we just kind of ventured into this bank of snow, not thinking that it might not it's relatively new snow and it might mm-hmm. not be packed right. down. Right, right, right. So yeah, it, it, it went was really a fail. well for about five it, yards. Yeah, for about three steps, <laughs> and then you sink down uh-huh. because the snow is light and light. it's not packed. Yeah, and then you, you know, you can't use snow 
as a support to pull you up. <laughs> you know, your, so your putting poles. your pole into the snow thinking <laughs> it's going to lift you up, that does not work. Listeners, don't try it. It does not work. And yeah, so I just said, we're going to go to that rock that was about, about 15, 15 yards, away. yards away. And when we get to the rock, we're done. <laughs> the irony is you made it. I did. <laughs> but I wound up literally in snow up to my shoulders. Yeah, I looked up and I could see you were in like, between two rocks. And all I saw was your hair head. and two poles <laughs> sticking up in the air. I will mention to the listeners at yeah. this point, I didn't make the 15 yards. I'm a bit heavier than Stacy, and nothing makes you feel good. Like after last year going out on snowshoes yeah. and staying up on the snow, yes. I felt really good. But this is <laughs> not so sunk much. Sunk right in. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I need bigger snowshoes or something, but boy, oh, this is really light snow. It, and I was also doubled over in laughter. It so. was really, it was really funny. And Christopher was, he was, he was laughing so hard and he was like chest high into the snow himself. And we'll post some pictures on, on the website for, and on Instagram for you guys to see. But we, we both were laughing. So I think like my tears from (laughs) laughing were like freezing to my face and I didn't have appropriate gloves. gloves. Yeah. I remember. Had, I had running gloves, which are like kind of felty material, and they were soaked through. My fingers Aww. were. Oh, but it was so much there's fun. There's probably like security footage from the college or the dorm of two I, wacko, like middle-aged crazies. I, I am sure there were kids. Struggling in the snow. Yep. Looking out their dorm windows. <laughs> thinking, what the heck are those two people doing? They are really dumb. But lesson lesson learned, yes. right? Like, be careful of the snow you pick. This yeah. is why they told us in the first year, like, be careful not to get too close to trees and yep. stuff because the snow might not be totally packed and you'll get sucked down. Yes, which we experienced and <laughs> won't experience again because we learn from our mistakes. Um, but it was, it was so much fun. And we are going to go again. Yeah. And then we'll have another adventure to share about our successful snowshoeing, snowshoeing. trip. But this was... Hijinks will ensue in a different way. Abs- as they always do. <laughs> it was It was really... It was it a was really enjoyable. lovely break from, from the office. <laughs> Even just the laughing so hard? It, yes. You need that and every once in a while. And the fresh air. It was beautiful. Air. Yeah. And not too many people noticing us, I think. I think we were pretty well hidden. But... <laughs> Listeners, if you get out there and you know some great snowshoeing spots, please share them with us so (laughs) we have better places to go. We would really appreciate that. In the meantime, enjoy. Enjoy the snow. Enjoy the winter sports here in the Eastern Sierra. And stay tuned. We'll be right back with our book segment. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless, reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the book segment of our podcast, our Christmas Eve podcast. It's like Christmas Eve, and many of you we know will be listening to this 
after Christmas and yes. thinking about New Year's. Yeah, and so many people like myself always at the beginning of the year try to change a habit or become better. I don't I'm not a resolution person. Are you a resolution no, person? No, I'm not. I used to be, but yeah. I'm not really anymore. You know, I used to um People would ask me that question, yeah. right? And so more to have an answer to the question than to actually be truthful about it and say, <laughs> I don't do New Year's resolutions, is I would say something like, you know, I just resolve to you know, eat or drink something green every day. I love that. Right? Yeah. And that's, it's open to so much interpretation. Yeah. Could be spinach. Could be a green Rice Krispie bar. Yeah, could green, be a yep. green cocktail, yep. you know? Um that just, you could get through 365 days of a year and not lie about that resolution. That is very true. And reward yeah. yourself. Yeah. Do you, do you ever do resolutions? No. Oh, okay. Because I'm, you know, I'm I'm so competitive that if I didn't keep it, I'd be really mad at myself. And I don't <laughs> want to spend the whole year being mad at myself because I didn't do what I said I was going to do. But you're constantly improving yourself, right? Well, so. I, th- I think everybody tries that level. So today we thought we would share books that go along with the theme of new year, new you. Yeah. Something that would, that's our theme. Something that would, you know, help you start the year off right. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. So what'd you read? I picked, um, two books by the same author, Gretchen Rubin. I'm sure a lot of listeners are, are familiar with her. She's published many Mm -hmm. books now. She has a, a, a podcast as well. Ooh. Um, yes. Competition. Um, yeah. Well, she's, she's like on another level. <laughs> well, we're going to get there. We're going to, she's our she aspiration. Should be, she should be scared of us. Okay. All gonna, right. <laughs> but, um, she actually started out her career as the, a law clerk for a Sandra Day O'Connor. Oh my gosh. Yes. She's got stories. Yeah. And then she decided she didn't want to keep, pursuing that career in law. And so she started writing books and her first book was called the happier project. And she embarked on this year long quest to to be, see what she needed to do to become a happier person. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the happier project, she chronicles her experience of one year doing all of these things. And every month she picks a different theme So like January, her theme is, you know, to better your body or increase your vitality. So she vows that she's going to go to sleep earlier. She's going to exercise more. She's Mm -hmm. going to act more energetic. And this is something I love about her. Mm -hmm. She is a big proponent of um, if you act a certain way, you're going to manifest that action. So... If she acts more energetic, she will be more energetic. So that's January. February is more along the lines of relationships. Mm -hmm. So she vows to uh, quit nagging her husband. She's going to (laughs) be, she's going to fight right. Did her Um, husband write a book after this? (laughs) That would be interesting, wouldn't it? (laughs) I don't think so. But um, so by June, she's thinking more socially. Mm -hmm. So she uh, decides she's going to be more generous. She's going to make three new friends. Mm -hmm. So you you kind of see where where this is going. And and I'm not going to give away the spoilers to see whether she was happier or not at the end of the year. You'll Uh, have to read that for yourself. But um, her this project then begat more research on not only um, 
being happier, but on developing habits and mm-hmm. how people develop habits. Because mm-hmm. she kind of one thing she did kind of find is that being happy is kind of a habit. A habit, right? Right. right. I can get that. Yeah. So she wrote the next book she wrote was called Better Than Before, which I think I've actually read it several times in January because it's it's kind of a transformational book. And in this book that she wrote this in 2015 and she it explores how somebody goes about creating, changing and sustaining habits. Based on the experience she went through initially with that first no, year? No, actually, or? she's kind of gone on and done more research, research. Okay. and developed these profiles. Okay. So if you, it's kind of Myers-Briggs-ish, like we were mm-hmm. talking before mm-hmm. we recorded. Um, she developed this concept of four tendencies, four personality tendencies that mm-hmm. people have. So there are upholders, obligers, rebels, and questioners. Mm-hmm. And... These tendencies, you take a little quiz to find out what your tendency, even though I knew just from the names what my tendency was going (laughs) to be, but I took the quiz to confirm it. Right. Um, But how, depending on what tendency you have, it influences how you go about developing habits and sustaining habits. And then she also in the Better Than Before book talks about the pillars of habits. So monitoring, of g- providing a foundation for building mm-hmm. the habit, scheduling, and accountability. So so it's work. It is work to <laughs> develop a habit. It really is. I'm trying to get into the habit of getting up to exercise at 5.15 mm. in the morning. I'm two days in. <laughs> Check back with me in a month in a and month. we'll see how it's going. But You'll get there. But it it's so Christopher based on those four personality description. I know I didn't describe them too much, but what do you think you are? So I think I I'm a questioner, probably. Probably said with a question mark. Yeah, at the exactly. End. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. There, I just illustrated it for all of our <laughs> listeners. Um, you know, it's also I think the way she described it in the quiz for mm-hmm. you to kind of uncover your tendency is. Do you, uh, talking about New Year's resolutions, yep. do you make a resolution every year? If not, why? And my answer is because if I need to change, I'll just do it at any point mm-hmm. in time. I won't wait for January 1st. And that's what matched to the questioner part there. Yeah. I could see I could see you being a questioner. Thank that you. makes sense. Is that a compliment? Yes. Yeah, because you know, I wish I was. I wish I was. <laughs> I wish I was because I'm an obliger. And so what's an obliger? So again? an obliger is somebody who will do things for somebody else because mm-hmm. it's expected of them by another person uh, rather than whatever they want internally themselves. Okay. That That gets put on the back burner. So if I want to keep a change of habit. Mm-hmm. I need accountability. Okay. Right. My pillar is accountability there. So I need to tell you that, hey, and listeners, you're, you're my accountability. I want to get up at 5.15, exercise every day. And now that I've made that public, I'm accountable to do it. So, because if somebody says to me, are you doing it? And I, I won't be able to so, be devastated so to say just, no. So to play that out, 
like if over the next six weeks, I just kind of gently ask you every morning, hey, how was the exercise this morning? Then I am kind of de facto being the person you're accountable to. Yes. So then if say two weeks in, how was the exercise? And gosh, I really love some like oatmeal with brown sugar and cinnamon. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like homemade oatmeal. If someone would just bring me some for the beginning of my workday every day, would that appear? It, it might. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I got to play this out. Yeah. You, you need to work this a little bit. <laughs> Do you no, want to retake the quiz it's now? It's really true though. I mean, it's so, it's, it really manifests no, like see. in your I work life yeah. and you know, yeah. so it's really interesting and I probably will read this again Good. in, you know, at the beginning of the year just to refresh that and my mindset about habits. And she did write a book just really in-depth about the four tendencies. Mm. Um, and they, I've read that one too, and it really just goes into way in deep about each tendency and then how each tendency mm-hmm. works with the other tendencies. So you can so. really under, learn to understand yourself more. So then when you're changing your habits yeah. and implementing new habits, you understand more about where you're coming from and maybe what your own yeah, challenges absolutely. may be. So you could yeah. see how it, you know, it's applicable in a work sense. So yeah. You want to learn to work with, if you have a, an executive group that's made up of two obligers and two upholders and two mm-hmm. rebels and two questioners, you, you kind of learn where, who you go to for what yeah. and you know, when. So Gretchen Rubin, great author, lots Good to share. Podcaster. Yeah, great. Yeah. We should put a link up to her we'll, podcast. We will definitely put a link to her books and the podcast in our show notes. And awesome. Gretchen, if you're out there, if you ever want to be a guest, we'd Come love to have you. Come influence us. Oblige us. Yes. <laughs> is she an obliger? You know, I can't remember. <laughs> I think she I think she is, but I can't I can't remember for sure. Oh, that's great. But how about you? What books did you choose? So I thought about, you know, books that I would give someone a, or recommend to someone at the beginning of the year that might help set them off on a, on the right note or okay. on a way that helps them think transformationally. And we've talked about this before. I don't read very much, um, not self-help nonfiction right. or what have you. I tend to get that from fiction, from mm-hmm. novels, from other stories. So I chose a couple of fiction books. And the first one is called Death Wins a Goldfish by Brian Ray, R-E-A. This is so great. Um, it's an adult book. It's a graphic novel. So think of it as like a, almost like a picture book for adults, but I don't want to simplify it or trivialize it in that way. Right. Brian Ray is, um, some of our listeners may know him as the illustrator for New York Times's Modern Love column. So he's an illustrator. I love that column. Do you? Yeah, I I'm do. I'm going to pay more attention to it yeah. now that I know he's the illustrator. And what he's created here, he's done other books. What he's done with this book, which came out earlier this year, is um, kind of create a simplistic and whimsical story based on the premise of being overworked and coming back and reevaluating your work-life balance, which we, all of us, I know, have those thoughts. Oh, yes. And it's a hard, it's so hard to do. It is. Create that work-life balance. So the premise of this graphic novel, which is beautifully illustrated, is that Death, who for centuries has been really diligent and committed to his job... Along with all the other deaths out there, you learn in this book that there's multiple deaths, you know, in the black robe and the scythe and the faceless, yes. you know, hood and all that kind of stuff. 
um, he hasn't used enough vacation days. And where he works, there's a cap on vacation days. And it's use it or lose it. And I know some of our listeners will appreciate that as well. So he gets a note from HR (laughs) at the end of December (laughs) saying, you're going to lose your vacation days. You You need to to take take time off. So he takes a year off. And so if you've never... If you've been a hard worker and you never take time off, what do you do with your free time? I I, I would love to have the experience of taking two <laughs> weeks in a row off. I know, right? Right? So um, very whimsically, similar to the first book you described, it takes it month by month mm-hmm. and he has different adventures. Um, he goes to a carnival and wins a goldfish, goldfish at a coin toss or a ball toss kind of thing. So that's hence the title, Death Wins a Goldfish, um, who kind of becomes his pal. And the goldfish accompanies him throughout his adventures. He um, downloads an app and goes on a blind date from a dating app. He, <laughs> you know... Um, goes to a ghost town, which I thought was nice considering where we are in the Eastern Sierra with ghost towns around. And of course the little line there is, you know, I recognized it. I did work there. (laughs) Um, goes to a rodeo. In other words, he goes through and has a bunch of different adventures that a lot of us take for granted. Um, and then at the end of the year, he's kind of transformed and it's all, you know, the book wraps up with him starting the next year off. Won't give it away, but it's a delightful book. It make a good gift book for people. Um, and, you know, again, the illustrations are really good. It got really good reviews when it came out. And in fact, it's on the NPR book concierge this year. Is it, a new, is it a newer book? Yeah, it came out just last February. Okay. Yeah, so it is, it's pretty new. And I'll make sure that the library gets a copy. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a fun. I love the concept. Book. When when I looked through it, and I didn't get to read the whole thing, but it just it cracked me up. And what a great way to start off the year with something so quirky but know, so right? funny that makes you laugh. Yeah. I mean, we all want to yeah, approach totally. things with a smile. So the other book that I chose um, is different. It's a classic. Um, and it's a story, again, about someone going through some transformation, as many novels do. Yes. This one is one that I enjoy, and um, I had forgotten about it. And as I was thinking about new books, New Year, New Year, mm-hmm. I thought, ah, oh, this would be a good book to remind people of. It's in the library, and it's called Where Angels Fear to Tread by E.M. Forster. It's a thin book. Okay. Forster was a writer, an English writer in the early 1900s, wrote a lot of really popular books, was a very popular writer. Kind of funny, not quite satirical, but he definitely liked to poke holes in English culture yeah. and like that prim, proper, everything's got to look good on the outside, don't show emotion, right. kind of English um, stereotypes. And he would take these characters and drop them somewhere warmer and where people were more emotive and the food was better. So there's a lot of these books, <laughs> you know, talk about English people visiting Italy or India or okay. whatever. Um, and so this one where angels fear to tread is an English widow, a young English widow goes to Italy with a friend, kind of like a chaperone okay, and, um, to kind of get over having lost her husband, um, but she falls in love with a younger man in Italy, a young, passionate Italian, <laughs> decides to marry him and not return to England. And of course, this causes all sorts of kerfuffles right. back in England with her in-laws and family and who decide that they need to go down and quote unquote rescue her from these Italians. Oh and of course, she's just like succumbed to the Italian lifestyle, mm-hmm. what have you. 
I won't give the rest of the story away. Um, some of it's happy, some of it's not so happy, but the characters are transformed by the end of nice. this book. And, um, you know, they're a little less English by the ah, end because okay. Italy has had this effect on them. And so that's why I recommended it for this podcast is if you feel like you're a little prim and proper in English in January and you want to be <laughs> less than that... <laughs> You know, have some adventure, you know, step out of your comfort zone, step out of your comfort zone and, um, you know, let loose a little bit, let your hair down. I love transformative. I I love books about transformations Mm -hmm. of all different kinds. Yeah. This one is going to be on my list for sure. And I think you'll enjoy reading it again. He's, he is not without humor and it's really short and he's a really great writer. A lot of his movies were made into merchant ivory movies. So this one was made into a movie in the early nineties with Helen Mirren. So any Helen Mirren fans out there, grab this online streaming or somewhere. Um, and you can watch it. The movie, this is one of the rare cases where I say the movie is almost as good as the book. Really? That like, never happens. It never happens. Yeah. But Helen Mirren, you can't, you can't go too long. She does great. Is there a lot of, is it very like British humor or is it humor that Americans would pick up on too? It's, I think Americans readers, I certainly picked up on, Mm -hmm. well, I picked up on it because I have British relatives as well, but it's also (laughs) just, you kind of understand when he's poking fun at someone because they're being too prim or they're being too reserved when they're given every option not to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he kind of just makes those situations kind of funny. Okay. Um, It's not like he's writing jokes. He's writing situations. Nice. um, Where this kind of comes out. And I think a lot of people would, would relate to it. Well, it sounds awesome. Like I said, Mm -hmm. it's going to be on my new year, new you list to read at the beginning of this year. 2020. Good. I'm glad to hear what you think about it. Can't believe we're getting there. (laughs) Or we're almost there. Listeners, let us know what your new year, new you books are. We'd love to hear what you're reading. Take a deep breath and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starve, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. Originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California, You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the C part, the conversation part of our podcast. And today we are so honored to have with us Colonel Hutchinson of the Pickle Meadows Marine Warfare Mountain, Mountain warfare. warfare Base. <laughs> training Center. Tra- training Center. I'm being Stay- educated. As and edited right in the moment. Right in the moment, yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate I love to learn. So sure, it's so a learning I. experience. Thank you so much yeah, for being for with us, us today. It is an honor. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. We should point out, listeners, we are doing this remote on site in Pickle Meadows, and it's a beautiful day out today. So we're really appreciating it. A beautiful day before the snow has flown, even though this is going to be released right right in the thick of the holidays. So hopefully by the time this is released, there's some snow, which impacts training, correct? Absolutely, it does. Yes. (laughs) You want to have snow? That's why we exist. Well, Colonel Hutchinson, please tell us how, what was your path to arriving here in Mono County? So I arrived here because the Commandant told me to assume command <laughs> of the Marine Corps Mountain Warfare Training Center. I um, 
consider a great privilege to be the commander here. Uh, it was funny, the year before I applied to be screened for command, I had an inkling that I would be selected for this billet. So I put it down as my eighth choice. Oh, <laughs> really? Um, and and, and I that. knew I was going to get this billet for several reasons. One, uh, I had been previously, I had attended many of the schools that are offered here. So I had, I had attended the, the winter and summer mountain leaders course, as oh. well as the mountain survival and evasion course. Awesome. And I'm still fairly fit for a colonel, which is unusual, and I can still carry a heavy pack. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I almost knew I was going to be selected here. And when I, when I did fi- find out, I knew that it was my destiny. Uh, I had a premonition, or I'd say instinctively I knew it. I was coming back to Pickle Meadow. And this place is very special to me. Um, I spent a lot of time here after a hard combat tour in 2004, mm-hmm. and I came here, I just needed some time to organize and heal, mm-hmm. and these mountains did that for me. Yeah. yeah. They do that and for so a lot of people. I owe, I owe these mountains a lot, Yeah, and That's it's a privilege to be back, to give back to this community, to the Marines, and to offer some of the hardest training in the world here. It really is quite uh, difficult terrain to, to navigate, isn't it? Yes. So right here we're at 6,700 feet. Yeah. And our training area goes up to 11,200 feet. Wow. So we met your 11,000 foot threshold. <laughs> okay. Thank you. We, we appreciate that. I will take you up to Lost Cannon Peak. <laughs> 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 and we can do a portion of this podcast up there. <laughs> well, <laughs> next time yeah. you've got yourself a deal on yes. that one. We That would be an awesome adventure for sure. Can I ask where you're from originally? I'm from Southern California. So I've always... Always had a long uh, connection to um, this area because my uncle had a place in June Lake in oh, Niner Lock. Okay. Nice. And so every winter I would ski at June Mountain. So June Mountain was like, right. the, yeah. it, June is special for me. And growing up as a kid, I mean, obviously it, it feels like the Swiss Alps, but right. it's so, the, re, the nature of the resort and it's so family oriented. Um, I always preferred it over Mammoth. It was just a special, <laughs> isolated place. I don't think you're unique. I bet yeah. there's yeah. a lot of people who prefer June a little bit over Mammoth. Yeah. I do. I, I would ski at June over Mammoth, it's mostly a- because I'm not a very good skier. And people <laughs> that I can terrorize at June Mountain and make their lives miserable, so less people to offend. Yes. <laughs> But it is beautiful up there. It so is. you came up, were you just a skier? Or were you a, a summer person to no, come No, just generally the winter skiing. Yeah. yeah. Skiing. Beautiful. And do you still get to ski yes. even, even in this yes. position? So some, yes, I have to be responsible. <laughs> I have to focus <laughs> on my command yeah. duties. And when I do have time, I still ski. And nice. uh, I enjoy it a lot. We actually, a lot of people don't know this. Here on the base, we have our own ski lift. Really? And so, yes. <laughs> it's modest. It, it's not impressive, but right. uh, it works, and uh, we do a lot of ski training here. Trick. Really? That's nice. So the Marines actually get on skis? and Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So let's let's step it back a little bit. You know, I've driven by this any number of times in my life. I grew up in the area. I had really, I still kind of frankly have no idea of the scale and the scope of what happens here. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, 
So this is a secret, and I wish I I wish people knew more about it because yeah. the mission that we do here is absolutely essential to national defense. And to give you some historical perspective, this training center has existed since 1951. Wow! Oh, as a result of very harsh lessons learned in war, specifically the Korean War, mm-hmm. in which the 1st Marine Division in the span of six, seven weeks, the first six, seven weeks of the conflict, suffered over 3,000 killed in action and over 7,000 plus wounded in action, primarily due to cold weather injuries. Interesting. Oh, wow. And so in the words of our iconic Marine, uh, Chesty Polar, he said, we need a place to harden the boys up. But now we harden the boys and the women up here. And to this day, the purpose of this training center is to prepare the Marine Corps to fight and win our nation's battles in absolutely the the most harsh conditions. And so um, we harden the spine of the Marine Corps here. Wow. And the scale and scope of it to this, a lot of people don't don't appreciate this, but we have up to six to 7,000 Marines and sailors training here every year. Wow. With a staff that's only, of only 300, 200 of whom are, are service personnel and then wow. 100 civilians. So really? So we have a very small staff, but we have a very important, vital mission. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nowhere else in the, in, the, in the Department of Defense that conducts this type of training to the degree that we do. Wow. And so I, I was very proud of this fact, but the Secretary of the Navy recently visited us. And the first wow. words out of his mouth were, this is a national treasure. And wow. if I could convey this to, um, to your listeners, we're saving lives, lives up here. Mm-hmm. Hard training, right. stress inoculation, combat preparation, all of that saves is going to save Marines' lives mm-hmm. in the future. Absolutely. And is it, I'm sorry, is it just the kind of unique nature of the terrain and the mountains here? Or is there a reason why they've chosen the Sierra, say, over the Rockies or somewhere else that maybe seem more obvious to people? Interesting (laughs) history. So um, before, they tried to establish the Mount Warfare Training Center in uh, Big Bear Lake. Mm. That area, Lake Arrowhead, that area. Mm-hmm. Right. And there were so many liberty temptations that they considered completely unviable. <laughs> they then tried to ha- hold it at uh, San Jacinto mm-hmm. in the uh-huh. vicinity of Palm Springs. And they discovered they didn't have, they, they weren't receiving enough snow. Right. right. And so they, the Marine Corps went on a scouting mission and a major came up here and talked to the Forest Service and he queried, where is the most miserable place that gets the most <laughs> snow? Where could we set up this training center? And so if you look at it, if your listeners could see it, um, we're located on the 108 that mm-hmm. leads right. over Sonora Pass. Right. So when it first starts to snow, that road is shut off, right. which turns this into this perfect cul-de-sac uh, in which we can torture Marines <laughs> without the public seeing oh, yeah. it. So it is, uh, and, and it sounds sadistic, but it's yeah. actually benevolent. The of harder course. the training sure. it is, um, of course. the more important and effective it is. So there is genius in the selection of this location because we're still comparatively close to Southern California. Right. Yeah. So all the Camp Pendleton units can come yes. up. Um, so we save a lot of money in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. And... The environmental conditions here are great. I mean, we have 
in the summer, we can get up to 90 degrees. Um, In the winter, we can get down, I think last year here in base camp, we got down to negative 25 degrees. We can receive anywhere from 30 up to 60 feet of snow accumulation um, over the winter. So this is the idea. This place, there was genius in its selection. The worst, best place. Yeah, the worst, (laughs) best. It's crazy. So what do you, is there, do you have to adjust the training to the weather? Absolutely. So um, we have two distinct training seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, One is the summer. In the summer, um, we focus our training primarily on technical mountaineering skills and tactics Mm. Um, so we'll teach marines how to climb we'll teach them how to uh, um, develop established systems so they can move heavy objects Mm -hmm. through the mountains Mm. Uh, they'll learn how to tie rope bridges so they can cross and ford streams and we'll also incorporate tactical force on force training in our mountain exercises in which we pit marine forces against marine forces and marines are highly competitive so we're what we're accurately replicating is combat against a peer or near peer threat Mm -hmm. right and the winter is similar but the training emphasis is a little different because of the environmental risk is much higher in the winter we spend a lot more time on survival skills Mm. And then our technical skills that we teach them are primarily based on mobility, teaching them how to ski and snowshoe mm-hmm. and move around. There's less technical rope work, mm-hmm. uh, but we also have force-on-force force training at the conclusion of every mountain exercise where, once again, we pit like forces against each other. Wow. How long is a training, how long will a Marine spend here in training before they're Deployed and and are they all if they're here are they deployed deployed afterwards? So, so many of the units that do come through here uh, subsequently deploy um, to areas all throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we use this place as a stepping stone. So if a unit is designated, for example, to go to Norway mm-hmm. and conduct participate in a NATO exercise, they will learn the fundamentals here. Okay. And within our training construct, there's two things that we do. We have the mountain exercise, which is our large-scale training exercise, where we'll have up to 1,200, 1,300 Marines on base at a time. Wow. And then concurrently, we also run formal schools, which are focused on individual training. Okay. So we have eight formal schools. Um, our, our curricula is pretty rich. So yeah. we have a winter and summer mountain leaders mm-hmm. course. We have a mountain communications course, a mountain engineering course, a scout um, sniper mountain shooting course. Um, This is kind of an interesting uh, fact. We have the only equine stable in the Department of Defense. So we teach teach animal packing. Wonderful. And we teach uh, specifically to uh, our special forces. We have a special forces uh, horsemanship course. And so these are unique boutique skills, but have been applied in combat and proven to be very helpful. And who gets to decide who takes those classes? Like, if I'm a Marine, can I, oh, I want to take that equine 
packing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign so, up <laughs> so it's kind of interesting you have, uh, our animal packing course is usually attended by junior marines mm-hmm. and they're part of the units that come uh to train for mountain x so they will attend the animal packing course and then the final exercise of the mountain of the mountain exercise they'll actually be leading pack mule trains taking ammunition, vital supplies, carrying weapons wow. on mules up to the forces that are in active contact with with each other. So it, it's simulating combat. But if if you were to see the faces of the average Lance Corporal or PFC <laughs> that on the first day of the animal packing course, it's one of complete disorientation. <laughs> I was like, how... I oh, end up here. Like, how did I end up here? <laughs> and most have never ridden or been around right. these animals. Sure. And so it, it, there is an adjustment, but they learn very quickly how to handle them. That's do they get amazing. to go out and participate in the rodeo? That's so we do have some of our Wranglers, yes, do awesome. ride, do ride um, saddle bronc, bareback, etc. in the oh. Bridgeport Rodeo. Awesome. That's yeah. amazing. All right, we're going to be we're, we're with the podcast next year. Next yeah. year. We're going to be there. I mean, that, I suggest you go down the stable and spend some time because it, it is a fascinating niche. But it has a direct military application. Yeah. So if you're looking at the world and how you move heavy objects through steep compartmentalized terrain. Right. Um, you use pack animals. Yeah. Right. If you want to fit in with the locals, you don't drive a Humvee. Right. You right. use pack animals. Right. They're silent. They can, you can use them for infiltration. I mean, there's huge applications. Yeah. So in many ways, to overcome the the, ch- the technological challenges that, that, that we expect in current and future conflict, mm-hmm. some ways to counter those measures is mm-hmm. to use the primitive old ways right. that yeah. have worked for millennia. Yeah, That's yeah. fascinating. I mean, I don't think anybody would think about that, especially in these days when all you hear about are drone technology yes. and things like that. It's, you know, it's fascinating to know Makes that sense. the old ways work best. So you alluded to, like, in that scenario, kind of, you know, individuals who are new to this place kind of finding themselves a little bit lost or bewildered about what it's like. What what change do you typically expect or see, apart from what they're training and learning, but like in their personalities or confidence or whatever while they're here? If they, they come here scared, um, and they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's an ominous drive, yeah. whether they're coming from Camp Lejeune on the East Coast for many of these Marines, they have never been in this type of environment before. Right. And when you when you take the intersection of the three of the three ninety five and, and one hundred eight, and then you start driving, and the sign says MWTC Mount <laughs> Warfare Training Center, Center four miles. Invariably, most Marines share they kind of get a sick feeling in their stomach, <laughs> like like sure, right, like. SHIT just got real. Right. 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 We are going to a place that is absolutely legendary in the core for making precious memories. Marines who come here never forget it. They either hate it, they love it, but they never forget it. And I will tell you this this funny anecdote about how hard the training is here. General Furness, who is the 2nd Marine Division commander, commanding general, came here, and he loves to tell the story about it, he overheard his Marines talking during the the Battle of Fallujah. And they were talking to two Lance Corporals, smoking cigarettes after a heavy day of combat. 
and they're shooting the bull and they're sharing, oh, that was some of the hairiest, most intense fighting we've ever overcome. And the other Lance Corporal response was, hey, well, yes, but at least it wasn't M- MF Bridgeport. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so that's the whole, and, yeah, and that's right. when we knew, we know we're doing things right. When right. the operating yeah. forces are saying that, thank you for elevating us and pushing us to a level that combat seemed easier than Bridgeport. Certainly. And that's right. the whole purpose of this place. So to answer your question, elaborate more, this place, more than any other I've ever known in the Marine Corps, reveals character very, very quickly. And a battalion commander can come up here and within a week can pretty much know with accuracy who his stars are and who are his right. weak mm-hmm. Marines are. Right. And he can compensate for the weak ones, and then he can rely upon those that are strong. But there are moral dilemmas that are just an inherent part of our training. One is, do I get out of my sleeping bag when it's negative 20 out and check on my Marines at 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do I ensure that I'm inspecting my Marines and make sure that they're changing their socks, that they're eating properly, that they're packing their stuff, that they're maintaining a light and noise discipline? Am I the leader that's going to do the hard things? And what we're doing up here is essentially fighting against human nature. We're asking Marines to do very unnatural things that none of us in the civilian life would want to. They are readily absorbing pain for days on end. And if they survive this place, and if you will see that the swagger from a (laughs) unit that comes here scared, when they walk down this mountain, there's a swagger in their step. They're about 15 to 20 pounds lighter they look lean. They imagine like what, what, what a Confederate soldier would look like in 1864. <laughs> they look gaunt um, and they're proud. Yeah. yeah. And my biggest metric, it may seem silly, but my bi- biggest metric to determine how well they enjoy training is we have a little store here, a little PX. Mm-hmm. And if they're buying MWTC hoodies... And they're wearing them with pride as they're leaving this place. And I have my, my gunny who works in the store. I'm like, how many of how many rates we have on base? How many hoodies did they buy? Then we know we're winning. Yeah. yeah. No we kidding. know we're right. winning. No kidding. You've done the job. That's fast. So this is a really a transformative place in more ways than just teaching Marines how to go into combat. It's about moral fortitude. Yes. I think the most important thing we do here is build character. So the, the technical skills are a means to that. And, and um, you could, one can make an argument that many of the skills that we, we teach are so specific that are not necessarily directly applicable to most situations. Right. To me, that's less important than the fact that we are inducing stress and we are creating character and we are building young men and women to know that they can reach down deep and they can find it within themselves the fortitude to press on and to never fail their fellow Marine. That's what this place is about. That's that's what its true essence is. That's amazing. Amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And it'll continue to be so because it sounds like this from what you're saying this is a needed yes exactly place in the 
in the defense of our country. I, I just wish more people in Mono County and our listeners knew about it. I mean, if to all of you, if if, <laughs> if you have a valid license and you're not a felon, you can come <laughs> on this base and visit us anytime. We have a heritage museum, and we we love to share this because. When people come here, it's no longer an abstraction. They become a booster for this place. They understand it. They appreciate it. And we belong. We live in this community. We belong to this community, maybe just for a few short years. But this is our home, Mm -hmm. and we love it, and we want to share it with people. Well, I'm so glad you said that. So, right. listeners, you have an invitation. <laughs> you have, for the have to have to let us <laughs> let us know yeah, how many calls that. you get. <laughs> so, Colonel, something we always ask our guests, and we're going to ask you as well. And we understand you are a big book person, a big reader. What are you reading now? So that's kind of like a trick question. <laughs> uh, on, on my, of course it is. Yes. <laughs> on my bedside table, there is such a pile of books that uh, I risk being suffocated if they should fall <laughs> um, So my reading style, kind of, I bounce between anywhere from like five to eight books all the time. Okay. Um, You're like Christopher's. Yeah, like that's that. all right. What yeah. books that have I just finished recently that I enjoyed? I. Um, James Holland is a British military author that I really enjoyed. I just finished two books of his. Mm-hmm. One was entitled Normandy, 1944. Mm-hmm. And the other was The Big Week, which is 8th Air Force, 1943, in the battle against the Luftwaffe. Yeah, that wow. just came out, I think, this year or just last year. It's yes. a very recent time. Yeah, it's yeah. a great, great book. Both, I really like his writing style. And I think... I wouldn't call him a revisionist historian, but he offers a fresh perspective. Okay. Uh, and it, I think specifically, he kind of boosts the Allies' way of war. Mm-hmm. And he explains how that there's a there's a mythology, even in the Marine Corps, surrounding the Wehrmacht and the Luftwaffe, that their, their tanks were always better, they were always better soldiers, and they were just tactically more proficient, etc., and he offers that that's, that's probably an erroneous uh, approach or understanding of the Germans. And he, and he says, the American and British way of war is one in which we put firepower, we apply firepower against a problem instead of flesh. Mm, oh, right. And the way, because we are, we are democracies, um, the way we treat our soldiers is much different than we would if we were a fascist country mm-hmm. and right. we had fanatical Nazis. Fight. It's just right. different. Yeah. And so he just talks about the technological prowess of the Allies, how they applied it. The methodology that they applied, and in particular in the case of 8th Air Force, um, the Americans made a deliberate decision that we're going to send some of our brightest and most intelligent into the Air Force, and they are going to inflict an outsized level of damage and punishment upon the enemies, and we're going to do that. We're going to lose thousands, but we're doing that, but we're not going to lose tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Similarly, how we fought in Normandy, there was enormous logistical buildup, and a very, you know, Monty is always viewed as so conservative. Well, he knew that at this point in the war, the British had no manpower left, and so he had to conserve his battalion. So, yes, he's going to have these very methodical set-piece battles, because he's going to use firepower instead of flesh to solve yeah. these right. problems. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, I enjoyed those books. 
Do you read anything other than military oh, strategy? Yes. Yeah, no, I'm pretty ecumenical in my reading. Tapes, so. <laughs> like I'm reading a philosophy book right now that by I think it's Ryan Holiday. Ego is the enemy, mm. which is kind of interesting. Um, I love all forms of literature. I love fiction and nonfiction. Um, I actually prefer non. I prefer fiction because I think it's more revealing about human nature in real mm-hmm. life yeah. than nonfiction mm-hmm. yeah. is. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, to all the audience, read. It's wonderful. It's very enriching. I think reading has probably been one of the, most, one of the things that, that's in, enhanced my life, enhanced my understanding of human nature, and I think just made me a better person. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can all I agree wouldn't disagree with, with that. that. Yeah. yeah. And I know we can find at least the big week, and I'll check on the other James Holland, are available in the libraries. You can find them in local bookstores. You know, there's no excuse for you not being able to read in this day and age. So uh, that's really good to hear. So well, thank you sure. so much, thank and we're you. gonna we're gonna take you up on your offer the next time. We're gonna go up to eleven thousand plus, yeah, and we're gonna and do we another from interview there. from there. But we so greatly appreciate and so honored by your giving us some time today. So yeah, thank you absolutely. so thank much. You. It was a lot of fun, well, and I think this is a great idea that people can learn and better understand this great community. And I wish everyone a merry Christmas. Absolutely. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. So thank you, listeners. You've just enjoyed another episode of Oxygen Star, Adventure Books and Conversation at 11,000 feet. We encourage you to tell your friends. You find us on all the podcast platforms, Apple, iTunes, um, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. Rate us. Tell other people. You can email us. You can, of course, subscribe. Uh, You can email us from our website and as well, find us on our Instagram page. O2Star. O2Star. They keep forgetting that. (laughs) It shouldn't by now. It's so easy. After so many months. But thank you and indeed, happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.